This is Grown Up With Kids, the parenting and marriage podcast that gives a weekly dose of encouragement, wisdom, and humor for people trying their best to live, love, and laugh more with their families. Thanks for joining us. Hey, hey, today we talk about the gift of anger in your marriage. We also discuss the two types of popularity and Rachel tries to control when our kids poop. Is yes. that, I think that's getting worse. Do you think? You're getting worse, <laughs> Rachel. Never. Just hurtful. I'm never going to age. I'm never going to get worse. You got those serums around your eyes. I've put a lot of serums on my face. So can we talk about how either old or young we felt last night? We watched um, Father the Bride yes. with our kids, which was a fantastic movie, but... It was odd to watch it, probably for the first time in more than 20 years for me, um, and identify with the parents, and also realize that we're only, I am only, you're younger than me, of course. I am only two to four years younger than the parents are supposed to be in that movie. Yeah. The wife, the, Diane Keaton is supposed to be 44 in the movie, I and mean, it's not clear, but Steve Martin's around there. What? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, like can who- you imagine planning a wedding right now? Oh my gosh, no. So the, yeah, the last time I saw that movie, I was dreaming about my own wedding and I related to the daughter in the movie. And yeah, now we relate to the parents. I cannot imagine trying to plan, help plan our a daughter's wedding right now. Yeah, I think the last time I saw it, I was so young, I identified with her little brother, <laughs> the, the Kieran Culkin Oh my character. gosh. <laughs> it's been a long time, but the we were commenting today that that movie has held out well. I mean, like, they've done a good job where, like, it didn't age that poorly. Yeah, I mean, it, it clearly ages in the sense that fashion is different and kind of some Wait, of that stuff. what? Yes, I'm you, just you kidding. do not wear 1991 <laughs> pantsuits. Right. But, yeah, like, the themes of it, it's, I mean, I really think of it, it's a, essentially a love story between a father and his daughter, right? Like, and the transition that goes on when at, when they become adults like yeah. and it made me cry several times we don't even have a daughter yeah. but like <laughs> just the idea of our kids growing up um, is both beautiful and obviously what we want for them and for us <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's just like it's bittersweet like the scene the day before the wedding and they're playing basketball together because she neither of them can sleep and like she just is like I don't want to leave the house but, like, you know she does, right? Yeah, and at some point she's like, I know I have to go, yeah. but I don't want to, but, I, but I'm but i excited about what's to come. Like, yeah. it's this mixed feeling, and I, f- I have the same feelings, but now on the parent side. Yeah, like, I want you to have more and more freedom. I want you to be doing these grown-up, gr- you know, grown-up, quote-unquote, late elementary, middle school things or wherever we're at, but also I don't. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> it makes me a little sad. Yes, the time is going faster and faster as each day passes. And coincidentally, we actually ended up flipping through a bunch of uh, photos on our phone today with one of our kids, and they were from seven years ago. And it was like, again, bittersweet, like, oh, they're yeah. so cute, and yet that feels like forever ago. Yeah, you know what I thought of was uh-huh. how much control we used to have. I mean, like, we said when they ate, when they pooped, when, well, not when they pooped, they pooped all the time, but when they ate, when they That was always weird slept. when you're like, poop now, poop now. <laughs> Like, I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> ah, people used to look at me strangely, but I guess I, I didn't understand then. <laughs> yeah, 
like we used to have so much control over like play dates. I recently had a conversation with one of our kids where he sort of looked at me awkwardly when I was trying to encourage him toward a group of friends who I think are really sweet. And he just was like, mom. And I looked at him and I was like, do you need me to step away from play dates? And he was like, mom, we don't call them play dates. <laughs> I was like, okay. I was like, well, pull your left ear when you need me to back off. Like, uh, but if you need help socially, I'll be there. But those were the days, like when they were those little ages. I organized everything, and we got to hang out with with people who I liked and they liked. And yeah. now they just hang out with people who they like, which yeah. sometimes I don't like. That's yeah. Tricky. Do you feel like a little sadness about this? Yeah. Can you tell? I yeah, I do. I think that's one of the hard parts about having. Um, a middle schooler that I did not expect was the emotional um, roller coaster that I would experience. Like I expected their emotional roller roller coaster, but I didn't expect myself to be grieving the loss of like organizing play dates and um, just not having as much uh, voice as what I used to. Yeah. It's funny when I was looking at those pictures, uh, it was really, I had fond memories of them and the kids were like super cute and little and um, almost didn't recognize them to some degree. But I actually was more like, Oh man, we were tired. (laughs) Like physically. Yeah. Just tired. Just so exhausted. I mean, so when those pictures we were looking at, we had a six year old, a four year old and a one year old roughly. Yeah. And it was like, those are tiring times. (laughs) Yeah. Those are tough years. Those are really tough years. So I, on that, With that, I would say I'm glad to be on this end of the spectrum a bit more. Yeah. So (laughs) you were talking about helping our kids or wanting to be able to help them with their social aspirations, which is so you, right? Like, I'm like, hey, I'll help you with your math homework. And you're like, oh, I'll help you be cool. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know what's cool anymore. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it's a little tricky. Anymore. (laughs) I mean, I used to be super popular, but... So, I yeah, I heard this interesting discussion on another podcast about there are actually two types of popularity in, like, thinking of, like, high school popularity. Ooh, this is exciting. Tell me. Yeah, and I actually think this will be encouraging to you because you, uh, you know... Because I've conquered them both? Uh, yes, <laughs> in your adult life. No, I haven't. So there's popularity um, in the hierarchical sense, like how every teen movie is built, where there's like, who are the coolest people? And they're kind of on the top of the pyramid. Yeah, that's not me. um, Ever. Yeah, sometimes. (laughs) Nope. But then there's a popularity that's like likability. Oh, yeah. I can be pretty likable. Yeah. Well, while I was listening to this, I thought about you. Because you've talked about how either sophomore or junior year in high school, you had this stage where you were kind of not cool in the sense that like you didn't get invited to parties and you kind of just drifted apart from some of the cool things that were going on. Yeah, I watched musicals with my neighbor yeah. who was 42 at the time. <laughs> so, so not she, cool. She could have been the mom in uh, Father of the Bride. Right. Um, but uh, – the likability thing, you, you've talked about how, like, even at that stage where you weren't going out a lot on the weekends and you felt kind of, like, left out, you still were friends with, like, all the different friend groups at school. And so there's, like, this hierarchical concept, which is the more pop- common, sorry, way of talking about popularity and certainly in pop culture. Uh-huh. But there, um, there's actually apparently some research around the fact that being likable is a skill that pays off in adulthood. 
Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, be, which makes sense, right? Like being able to cross over friend groups, being someone that people like and trust, and all those things are skill sets, and that kind of connectivity and networking are things you actually do as an adult. Whereas, like, um, we're going to talk about this in the stat of the week, so I'm not going to give it away. But like, oh. the things that make you generally make you popular in the hierarchical sense are not necessarily the most important things in your career. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little more about that in the stat of the week, but that no. is. <laughs> I refuse. Oh I don't gosh. know. You zig, I zag. Boom. Always a pain in my butt. <laughs> I am, Rachel. So let's talk about your anger. That's what we're talking about oh, today. Oh, it's not just my anger. No, let's just talk about your anger. Just to be clear, it's not just about my anger. Eh. I, <laughs> I, You're right. You're um, right. We have been reflecting on not just anger in marriage. So like everybody in marriage gets angry at each other. And that's, I think that's a different podcast than what we're going to talk about today. Today we wanted to talk about when, when one of the spouses is experiencing anger at a situation outside of the marriage or experiencing an emotion. Anger is sort of a go-to for me and it usually is covering up fear or feeling misunderstood or like something, something different or hurt. Um, but my, but anger is definitely my go-to. And I think what, I think what we have seen is, um, there, when you, you have a sense of loyalty that is beyond the average bear. And so when you feel loyal or when you are, um, y- you are able to see all sides of a situation and see that I might be crazy in my anger, um, there has been a tendency, sorry, this is a little hard to talk about. Like I'm, I feel like it's a little raw, but we're going to do it anyway. Um, so here's, here's what's going on. Oh no. <laughs> you we, see me fumbling cause it's uncomfortable. It's too close. Well, no, here's the thing is like, you know, I hate talking about the Enneagram cause yeah. it's like the cool thing to do. And I hate those things. <laughs> yeah. And what you're trying to say is that I'm a nine apparently. And nines tend to see all sides of situations. Right. And so when you have a conflict with a friend or at work or somewhere outside of our, you know, our family. Right. I tend to jump to trying to see all sides and be like, well, have you considered this? There's that. And then what's the result of when you say something like that to me? It's always well received by you. Oh my you gosh, love it. I like fly off the handle. No, but you have to throw on top <laughs> of that that I'm also kind of uh, my default, and, and I don't mean this as a compliment, is towards being the stoic of the two of us. Yeah. So I think in most marriages, there's one person who is more emotional or more, not, not more emotional, more expressive, more emotive. Um, I think people are probably equally emotional regardless of how they show it. Um, And sometimes that's the husband, sometimes that's the wife. Mm -hmm. And often the other one is kind of the more outwardly stoic. Um, And so that, that's part of why we're attracted to each other and why we get along and it's a benefit, but it also is a way of me for me to control the situation. So you come expressing hurt or disappointment or anger. I feel sort of uncomfortable. Don't actually recognize that. But I default to, well, I'll be the even-keeled one. And so I'm even-keeled, and I'm seeing all sides. And that seems like I'm such a great guy to me, yeah. but it is just like punching you in the face, metaphorically, of well, course. 
with like, hey, I don't see you and care about your feelings. It makes me even more angry because you appear to be noble and good and fully loyal and level-headed. Yeah. And it just makes me even more angry because I don't think that's real. And I'm like, dude, like, that's not the purpose. I don't... And, and I can't even get under why it makes me so angry. But I think that what happens then is that you become more holy and stoic and noble. And then I just, like, lose my ever-loving S-H-I-T. Like, I get more, Look at I you get bigger. Not swearing. I know. It's, it's a nice so change. Different. I really like this. <laughs> no, but I lose my mind. And I have to get bigger because I feel like you're getting smaller. And so, like, I'm trying to balance this out so that I can be seen and heard. Um, in whatever situation. Yeah. Well, let's stop there because I think we do know what's going on there. Um, and maybe people can relate to this, which is you are communicating a feeling. I think generally feelings are valid, even if they're expressed poorly, right? Um, well, yeah, I think so. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> in my head, I think that. I don't always act that way. So you have negative feelings. Um you're looking to me not to solve them and you're not looking, you're not necessarily even like we're, again, we're being really clear. This is not a conversation about you're angry at me or I've done something wrong. Like that's a totally different podcast. It's also worth talking about, but like you're not blaming me, but you're sort of throwing those at me. And sometimes I don't really want to deal with your negative emotions. (laughs) Are you like, are you afraid to say that right now even? No. I think it's very <laughs> no, Rachel. No, my voice I'm is going to get so high as I lie. Even I love more. you. This is great. <laughs> no, I mean so. Anyway, what ends up happening is either because I don't want to deal with it, or because I'm just not seeing you very well, and I'm not like 100 percent in your corner, which we're going to talk about more. Like, I just want to shut it down. Like, my default is I want you to be happy. And so whatever I can do to make you happy faster, and it's not, the irony is that um, negating your feelings is not the fastest way to get you, you know, in a better spot, but that's often what I end up doing. Yeah, I think that there are kind of two places to land on this, as we've discussed. If you can think of a healthy engagement right in the middle, I think the two sides of a healthy engagement um, are like denial or pitying your partner as they're going through something with an external force. And just to define pitying there, it's sort of like, well, uh, look at you with your feelings, like, but I'm above that. Right. right? Like sort of like, oh, you'll get to where I am at some point. Like it becomes, it can become condescending. It can become, um, it can come out as really smug. I think it comes out with smirks or silence, like all of these sort of, like um, passive aggressive ways of saying, oh, poor thing. I'm sorry you feel so much, but you'll get to where I am at some point. And just to clarify, you've heard that can happen. You've never experienced <laughs> that, right? Um, never. At least not <laughs> while we're on the like mic. That's where, I I, that. <laughs> that's where I default, right, is this stoic, sometimes smug, certainly sarcastic, often condescending. Like that's yeah. my sin default which in some ways is very very safe like there's not a lot of volatility in that like there's not um explosive anger there's not like it it feels very safe but in a lot of ways i actually feel like your silence and sort of your um stoicism can be more earth shattering for me or or let me feel shaken for a longer period of time because i'm just unsure of what is actually going on and i'm also feeling 
totally crazy because somehow you have this figured out. You're not willing to tell me um, how you have it figured out, but somehow I'm crazy and I should figure it out on my own. And so I'm kind of like left out in the open and uncovered. And I think that um, both sides of this. So the other side um, is to be really over emotional, to sort of like out emotion the other person, which I would say is where I land with you. So when you have feelings, it's rare, but when you have feelings, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. When you have feelings, I think that my go-to is to sort of out-emotion you and be like, well, I felt that too, and I went up it, and I felt this, and I felt this, and it gives me some sort of false control over the situation. So, Can I ask a question? Um, how intimate is it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, is, is it a way of, like, if you get on top of me in terms of how high the emotions are, does that protect you because it pushes my emotion level down? Is I that is that what's going so. on? I really think that's what's going on. I think um, if you have big emotions, I think that my tendency is to feel blamed and and then I feel trapped. Like I, like I can't justify myself or explain myself and I just have to be humble. And so the fear... Ugh, <laughs> the horror, Rachel! I'm afraid of humility. <laughs> the horror! <laughs> I'm terrified of humility. I just want to play that over and over. Oh, and my loop. God. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, okay, so both of these sides. So you have the denial or the pity or, like, the smugness, and then you have the other side, which is over-emotional, um, maybe hot-tempered, um, and outdoing the other person. Both of those sides lead to isolation on in, with both parties. Like, I think that they both... Both of those um, sides of the pendulum um, shut the other person down. Yeah. Can we unpack that real quickly? So when I am like overly stoic or end up being condescending, like look at your cute little pet feelings that you have, how does that make you feel isolated? Uh, It makes me feel like I need to just deal with everything on my own. Um, It makes me feel crazy. Like I shouldn't have these feelings. Um, It makes me feel like somehow I missed the lesson where I was able to figure out what I'm feeling Mm. and that it's my fault. Like, and it, 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 I I would say that the end result is absolutely me feeling alone in trying to figure that out. And then I'm like crying out to the Lord and I'm journaling and I'm like talking with friends. It comes out in all of these different ways. But the truth is like, like I actually, I need you and you need me to say, Hey, you're not crazy and to create intimacy and the same, like, I mean, we are open with our faith, but I think that the Lord, the way he talks about marriage is in the, in scripture is with intimacy and that's what we're going for. And in no way, shape or form does he not welcome our anger or our emotion. Um, but he's also not there to like fix it. He's there to just be with us. And I think that's what we can do in our marriage as well. I think that is a replication of what scripture is talking about in marriage. Do you want to now ask me how I feel isolated? When no, you... probably not. <laughs> Too much humility. <laughs> Too much. How do you feel? Like, how does how is isolation translated for you? You've forgotten what we're talking about, haven't you? No, I mean, like, I'm over-emotional. <laughs> how does my... This is uncomfortable. How does my over-emotion or one-upping make you feel isolated? 
It um, or does it? That's the real question. No, it absolutely does. Oh shoot! <laughs> it makes me feel like my feelings don't count because they're not big enough. Ah, oh. right. Like so. I feel like a light bulb just went on for me in our marriage. Holy buggers! <laughs> you would have thought we got would have gotten to that during our prep. <laughs> you would think. Um. Yeah. So it's like I communicate something and you trump it. You know, not trumpet. You trump. It's like if you're playing Euchre, which we just played for the first time in 20 years, so much fun. <laughs> so much but it's fun. like the same thing, right? Like I put down the ace of clubs and you trump it and with a nine of whatever the trump card is and you get to win. And right. that's how I feel is like I express something and instead of you being like in my corner and being for me and with me and my feelings, uh, and maybe sometimes your high emotions are an attempt to share in that, but they come across as a an attempt to say, well, your feelings don't matter because they're not quite as big as mine. Yeah, exactly. Or your feelings don't matter because you did that same thing to me last week. Like, Ugh. I think that's the way that I, I won up. But I know, I, I see it. That one hurts. I see it. Every time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the pursuit of fairness and feelings and like all that junk, it just leads us to a place of isolation on both sides and it becomes really lonely inside of a marriage. Um, what we wanted to talk about today, or, I mean, what we are talking about and wanted to make sure that we um, share is that marriage is made for intimacy. Like it is made for us to be on each other's team. And we just wanted to throw a white flag up in the middle of a lot of chaos in marriages and say, you got like marriages need to be strong. We have to be for each other because this world is really chaotic. Yeah. And that intimacy by default means sharing each other's like negative emotions. I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with their own negative emotions and they're uncomfortable with other people's negative emotions. And part of intimacy, really knowing you and letting you know me is for us to be able to share those things and share like the negative emotions I have that are really like ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, and you to like walk with me in those and move me towards redemption and beauty, but not, Right away. Like, you need to sit with me in those and validate them and vice versa for me to do the same thing when you have anger, to not try to get you out of anger as quickly as possible, but to sit with you in it, to walk through, to ask good questions, to know you, to to make you feel known, which are two different things that can overlap but don't always do. Uh, And then eventually, and depending on the hurt, like the depths of the hurt, it might be hours later, it could be days later, it could be months later, then I'm going to walk you out towards redemption and hope. Yeah, I think this happened last night. We wanted to give a real example, um, which again, I feel a little nervous talking about it, but we had a disagreement. It was 11.15 at night, which never is advisable to have a disagreement at that hour. Who brought it up at 11.15 at night? I did, I did, I did, I did. (laughs) That's my prime Who wanted to be in bed at 10.30? (laughs) I did. Well, you shut it down real fast, so I'm pretty sure you got some good sleep. And then I reopened it, maybe. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It did actually end up being a really productive conversation. Mm-hmm. In short, I um, sort of laid something on you that was pretty extreme, where I just was like, this thing needs to change in our life. Like, I, and, it, and it was like, um, basically, I was like, we need to move. Yeah. We need to look for a different no school system. No small thing. Like, yeah, it's a big deal. Um, and I just had a bee in my bonnet. I typically feel this way when I'm feeling afraid or insecure or whatever, feel like our 
mission here in this neighborhood is diminished and we're just, we're not doing anything productive. And so I'm feeling that way lately. And I said, I think we need to move. Here's a house. I found it. I think it's going to be amazing. And you were like, by the way, what? the house you found was amazing. <laughs> Yes. And like twice the cost of our house. <laughs> also true, but still amazing. <laughs> so I brought this issue up. It was 11.15 at night. You did not want to deal with it. I get that. Totally makes sense. But what happened was I went to this really extreme place and became like angry about what was going on in our life or like, I guess, over emotive and tried to, with your lack of emotion, I got bigger and bigger. And I think... What we would have what would have served us well early in our marriage is exactly what happened last night, where I could target and say, "Okay, this may not be exactly what's going on. I'm not sure." Um, I wasn't able to say that in the conversation last night. It would have been helpful, but I think what you did was you went straight to the center of it um, after a long pause, which made me incredibly uncomfortable and angry. But you went to to the You're center. <laughs> you went to the center of it. And you um, started asking good questions about what might really be going on behind this dramatic over-emotional thing. One thing to note is that when someone is emotional in a marriage about something that might be outside of the marriage, I think um, a tendency is to be like, oh, you're just over-emotional or this is, you, you're just feeling it too much, just relax and then we can talk about it, which I don't think is helpful in any way, shape, or form. You don't want me to just be like, relax, Rachel, every time you feel something? You think no. that would go poorly? I think it might. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Let's try it. So, no, let's not, especially not on the mic, because we have tried it before, and it goes real bad. Uh, just calm down, Rachel. <laughs> so I think that's, like, I think you can land in that part where I think you had an option last night to be like, you know, I think you're over-emotional. I think you're overthinking this. Calm down. We're going to be fine. But that would have been really unhelpful. And I think that's where we started. But then you dove in with questions. Yes. When you started, I was hit with a wave of anger um, because I didn't want to talk about anything serious at that time at night. And anger because I thought what you were saying was ridiculous. (laughs) I didn't actually mean that as a joke. Thank God you did not say that last night. (laughs) No. But I think an important thing is when one person in the marriage, whether it's the husband or the wife, communicates a dramatic or strong feeling, it's important for the other person to figure out what they're feeling when they hear that. Um, So I was feeling anger, um, and I needed to know why, like... One reason was I wanted to be in bed and I wanted to be asleep and all that. Um, But that's also tied to a bunch of the reason I wanted to be asleep because I wanted a good night's rest and I had things that I wanted to do, blah, 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 right? So I need to sort of parse through that. But the other thing is like your comment about we should buy a new house made me feel um, threatened because it was touching on all these other things going on inside me. So it wasn't just a mere like, oh, you're being too emotional. It was actually your emotion was creating emotion to rise up in me. And it took me a minute. And I would say to your credit, like you communicated something 
pretty dramatically. And then you kind of sat there, and then you, I didn't respond very well. I didn't respond at all, really. I was like kind of silent. Yeah, that could be classified as not well. Yeah, yeah, but I, as opposed to <laughs> the opposite, which you can be not well respo- in your response by being over, like fighting or yelling. My not well response, not well response, not good response was essentially silence. And you did a good job of saying like, hey, I need you to talk through this with me. Right. Uh, um, and so... That gave me a moment to say, okay, what is going on in me right now that feels threatened or angry or scared or hurt or whatever it was? Um, And once I was able to kind of just process even a little bit of that, it gave me something stable to stand on and be like, okay, like Rachel's feeling this thing. I've kind of got a sense of where I'm at and why this feels scary or less than ideal. Um, And now I can kind of with my eyes wide open, engage in the conversation and start asking you good questions, which I think is such an important part of this. Um, if I, but if I hadn't taken the moment to sort of figure out where I was at, I don't think I would have been able to ask you questions because I would have been asking sort of blindly out of my anger or fear or anxiety. Yeah, I think that a couple things have to happen there. First, I think that both of us need to acknowledge at the very beginning of a discussion like this, that we are on the same team. We're in each other's corner. Go team! Which I don't think, actually, like especially when it's something outside of our marriage that you might be involved in or you might have an opinion on or have loyalty to, it's really hard to say, I'm still in your corner, even though I see this other person's perspective or this other um, this other situation really up close. Right. Still saying, I'm in your corner I, I want to be with you. The second step in that, I would say, is evaluating why am I so bothered by this? This is driving me nuts. I'm angry. What is going on? And I think my responsibility in that, or the person who has the big emotion initially, is um, to um, wait in silence and just and acknowledge, like, I have something in me. I, re- I realize this is a big emotion. I'm not sure where it's coming from. I could use your help parsing this out. Can we pause on that for just a second? Yeah. So what I, what I heard you just say, which I think is really good, is sometimes one of us throws something out, and we want the other to be in our corner right away and jump with us and be like, yeah, this is terrible, or yeah, da-da-da-da. But it's not necessarily reasonable to assume that they'll be able to do that and so giving them some space, because if you had just jumped out and been like, oh, you don't agree with me, blah, 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 you don't see my point of view, like, it just would have devolved into a fight. But what yeah. you did was you said, I need you to respond, and then you kind of gave me time to figure out where I was at and what to respond with, and then we had a really constructive conversation. Exactly, which actually produced what we really want in our marriage, which is intimacy, and not just physical intimacy. I think that's the cherry on the top, but what needs to become what needs to come before the physical or the sexual intimacy um, is this emotional intimacy where I feel like we're connected, where you feel like we're connected and we're on each other's team. Boom. Boom. So kind of a, a, a process for the listeners. Um, one, be in your spouse's corner. Two, understand why you're bothered. Um, three, ask good questions. And I think once, number four, once you know what you're really dealing with, then you can have a reasonable conversation trying to really listen well to what might be actually going on. And then fourth, know that your anger or the other person's anger and real emotion is actually a tremendous gift for your marriage. 
and acknowledging that because it will push you to more intimacy and that is a good thing in marriage. Yeah, and I would say if you're listening to this and you're like, ugh, I do not want to deal with my spouse's anger. Um, I do not want to deal with their disappointment. You're like, join the club, dude. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) I do not want to deal with their negative. Like, the encouragement is not to take uh, abusive anger or undisciplined anger from your spouse. Like, that's not what we're talking about here. But when your spouse feels things, like, that is an opportunity to really know them in the intimate way that you actually do want, even though it feels scary and hard in that moment. And vice versa, you want to be able to communicate, like your deep desire is to be able to communicate how you really feel about things and why you really feel that way. And so offering your anger or your hurt or any of your other negative emotions in a safe way is a real gift to your spouse. Yes, I have two more things. One is a question, one is a comment. One comment that occurs to me and that we've talked about before is that Anger and emotion is a tremendous gift. If there is not anger in your marriage, it means you're not rubbing up against each other and there's little intimacy. Like if everyone is happy all the time, you may want to take a step back and say, is one of us sleeping? Like (laughs) are are we really fully engaged? Or is one of us hiding or afraid? Like, what's really going on? Because I would say if you are handling emotions in a totally calm, peaceful way at all times, you may want to say, are we really pushing each other's buttons in an intimate way? Yeah. Fair to say? That's good. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to say, I said I had a question as well. I wanted to know, and I think our listeners might also want to know, especially from a male perspective, how do you, as a husband, help process feelings? Help my wife process feelings? Yeah, help me process feelings. Do you have a step-by-step process that you pull out of your pocket when I, like, throw crazy crap on the on the floor? <laughs> no, I don't. But I think the things that work better when, when done well and in a loving way um, is, one, really seeking to understand you and what's going on, what you feel and why you feel it. Um, and so for me, I, I don't know that all husbands are like this, but maybe many are, I have to fight the urge to get you back to calm or happy as quickly as possible. Cause that's what makes me feel most emotionally safe. Hmm. And so I have to choose to stand sort of in the storm and say, this storm is good. And actually knowing, helping you know what you really feel and think and why, and me learning what you think and feel and why. That's the goal right now, not getting through the storm as quickly as possible, which Mm -hmm. is kind of my default setting. Um, So I think that's really helpful. And I think that the under, you know, sort of step B, if you will, underneath that is to ask really good questions, to choose not to be offended by the answers, Mm -hmm. to not, um, and to be aware of what I'm feeling throughout. And when I get angry or scared, or uptight physically or emotionally, like you can feel it physically, like in your chest sometimes, or people feel it in other parts of their stomach or whatever, like that means something's going on, and I need to take a second to figure out why am I anxious or angry or whatever emotion I'm feeling then, Mm -hmm. and not just responding out of that feeling, but actually being able to kind of moderate and manage that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and then, you know, I think for me, and 
other people may not be like this. Like I really have to um, kind of fight my desire to see all sides and make sure that I communicate to you that like I'm your biggest fan. Like mm-hmm. I, I might be able to see all sides and I might be able to help you through this because I can see things you can't. But in the moment, in the short term, throw all that out like, I'm on team Rachel Mm -hmm. and I'm going to stand next to you no matter what you decide. I'm going to be with you no matter what. And I'm going to cheer you on because you're my wife and we made a lifetime commitment to do that. Yeah. Drop the mic. Well, I think that the other part of that is, um, I think, um, understanding or asking questions. This is from my perspective. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know what you experienced, but, I think we have more successful conversations when I'm able to um, recognize that your experience is different than my own and I may not fully understand it mm-hmm. um, on the front end. So I really have to ask exploratory questions to understand how you're actually experiencing something. Otherwise, I just override it with my own feelings. And That's essentially you're assuming that I would feel and experience things the way yep. you would feel and experience them. Exactly. And so then I think I can either go like to the smug route where I'm like, oh, please, this isn't that big a deal. Or <laughs> be like, well, I felt that last week and you don't even understand. And here's how angry I got like mm-hmm. in, in rising. So I think, um, I think those are a few key findings as we have spent years in giving anger as a gift to each other. <laughs> <laughs> We're working on it being a gift. It is, and I do, I really do feel like um, the fight that anger has produced on behalf of each other has been really good. Yeah. It, um, and it makes me feel really safe in the long term um, because I know that you will, one, not be blown over by me, um, mm-hmm. but also that you will fight for me and not against me. Um, and I think that... that you have to express anger in order to test those waters. Yeah. I think that's a good place to stop. There we go. Let's go to the stat of the week. Yes. All right, Rach. Rach. Ready for this? Yeah. So we started our conversation today talking about popularity, and I told you that there were two types of popularity, like status-based popularity and then there's like likability. Uh-huh. And this is based off of um, some research and a, a book by Mitch Prinstein. Who's you were psych- going to say Mitch McConnell. I was like, oh, crap. We need another source. <laughs> Mitch Prinstein. <laughs> just going to leave that without comment. <laughs> a professor of psychology and neuroscience at the University of North Carolina. And he actually wrote a book called Popular, The Power of Likability in a Status-Obsessed World. Interesting. So, um, being likable is really good. Uh, is that the end? Yeah, that's the end. <laughs> no, so this is less a stat. So there are two main determinants, though, of what we would call reputation-based popularity, which is more like hierarchical popularity, like the cool kids, uh-huh. the stars of Mean Girls, that yeah. kind of thing. What do you think those two main determinants are? Like, what are what makes them that way? Yeah, what are the two things about them, those people that they often have in common? They're ragingly insecure. That is not one of them. That may be true. <laughs> I don't know. So, or like an outward determinant, like ways that they either act or are. Oh, I have no idea. So one will be maybe, in retrospect, obvious physical attractiveness. 
I was going to say that or like. Sure you were. Well, no, no, no. I, I think every woman out there probably has thought, well, if I were skinny and beautiful, I would be popular. Yeah. Yeah, so. and this is not making a distinction between males and females, but it, just in general that kids in high school uh, have higher reputation-based popularity, or at least those with higher reputation-based popularity tend to be better looking. Hmm. And do you know what the other determinant is? Money? No. Although there is some uh, sense in which kind of like family status plays into it. Oh, um, so that could be money or he made the comment that in like religious communities or communities that tend to be more religious, like if your parents are important in the church or the synagogue or whatever, that right. might lead to some sort of status that gets handed off, if you will. It's actually aggressiveness. Oh, man. Which makes sense. Like, if you're 16, 17, 18 years old, and you're pretty attractive, and you kind of aggressively put other people down or sort of exert your dominance, that's that's what people care about at that point in their lives. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. It fits into sort of a bully mentality or, like, get what I want. I'll take what I want. Yeah. Idea. What is interesting, I was reading this article about some of his writing, and he does make the point that uh, sort of cool kids aren't always bad examples or bad role models. Mm -hmm. Like, often they might produce positive peer pressure. Like, the cool kids might be um, really active in, like, volunteering or may not drink and smoke, and, like, that that actually rubs off on the general populace as Mm -hmm. well. And, and the other thing that I thought was interesting, which is kind of actually a stat, is that he essentially indicates that about 50% of the influence on your kids in high school is determined by kind of this hierarchical structure of who's cool and what their peers are. But the other 50% is essentially like their friends and their family. So say that again. So essentially it means like even as our kids get into high school, we still have influence on how they think, the decisions they make, what they end up doing. So we have like 50% influence. Yeah. That's Unlike good. when we were doing play dates and we had 98% influence. <laughs> yeah. So it's less, but still some. Yeah, that's really hopeful actually. I think I find that really hopeful because I have thought that I'm sort of, um, I, I am dismissing my impact, dismissing my voice, but I think I'm dismissing it too quickly. Yeah, I think Um, we still have a voice to speak into middle school and high schoolers' lives. Um, And he essentially says, like, people, kids' sort of point of view and their values falls somewhere between what they're being taught in their home and what the quote-unquote influential kids are teaching. Interesting. So we can pull them back towards us. Pull them back towards us. And I do, so I was listening to, I know we're way over on time today, but um, I was listening to um, something recently that defined parenting at the different stages. And they were talking about the zero to five age is um, strong disciplinarian. Mm -hmm. The ages six to 12 was the, those were the training years. And then you move into 13 through 18, which are your coaching years. And it gave me a lot of hope to say, okay, like I'm not totally, I haven't totally lost my influence. Um, So if our kids do end up being influenced by peers and the popularity crowd and blah, 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 I still have influence, but it looks different than it did when they were zero to five. Like I'm not going to like pull them all the way back and cut them off at the knees and be like, no, don't touch the stove. No, don't hang out with so-and-so. Like those... That's changed, right? Yeah. Um, but there is still influence, more of a coaching influence as they get older. Now, if we could just train them to stop breaking glasses, that would be a big win. <laughs> for the love. For the love. Yeah. Hey, Rach, thanks for working on the farm. Thank you for working on the farm.
Hey, um, if you've enjoyed this, if you found it encouraging, please share it with a friend and go into the old Apple iTunes iPod app <laughs> podcast, whatever they call it these <laughs> days, and give us a five-star rating. We would appreciate it and leave a review. Um, and we will talk to you again next week. Thanks Check for working again. on the farm. Oh, shoot. I messed it up. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. Try it again. Thanks for working on the farm. Thank you for working on the farm. Check ya. Check ya.